Amen. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. The theme we have introduced a few weeks ago is this theme of engaging. We engage Scripture and we engage the culture. We engage our neighbors. We engage our families. And the basis for it is found here in Ephesians chapter 4. If you look at verse 1, we see our mission. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. All right, so what we're supposed to do is we as believers are supposed to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called. What is that? We're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to walk like a Christian. Amen? I'm glad Chad agrees with me. We're supposed to walk like a Christian. Amen? That's the vocation. Now, I know some of you, we have, we have engineers, we have supervisors, we have teachers, we have firefighters, we have policemen, uh, we have salesmen, we have stay-at-home moms. We have everybody here, all different types of trades and, and whatever it is. Anywhere from a laborer to a doctor. We have all of it. Is that right? That's not our vocation. Our vocation is to live and to walk as a child of God. Amen? Those that get to go in. Then... Our message, what's our message? Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What is our unity based around? Well, there's one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So we have a vocation, that's our mission, is to live like a believer. And then our job is to teach, to have unity around a body of truth that faith once delivered to the saints. Do you know there's only one right church? There's only one right faith. There's only one right body of doctrine. Amen? Amen? Now, I know, I know, I know. I understand that we're multicultural. Can't we all just get along? You know, everybody's idea is just as good as anybody else's idea. Well, then why do we have millions of people coming from Mexico to the United States? Apparently, it's better here. Again, like three people agree with that. You must not have ever been to Mexico. It's better here. And that's because there's white people here. No, that's not it. It's because we have a system of government, a system of laws that's better than they have in Mexico. If that's not the case, then they wouldn't want to come here. We have an economy that's based on right principles. Well, it was, but an economy that's based on right principles and people want to come here. I like what Ravi Zachariah said. In one nation, in one country, they say, love your neighbor. In another country, they say, eat your neighbor. Which do you prefer? Right? It's not multiculturalism. We don't believe that. We believe that there's a right way, there's a wrong way. Is that right? The Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is in all and above all and in you all and whatever. But the Bible makes it very clear that we have a message. And that message is based around the truth of the Word of God. Is that right? Now look, if we don't have this right, there's no way we can engage the world properly. Then look at what the Bible says. We have a measure. Verse 7, how are we going to accomplish this? But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So here's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Do you all believe that? In between the time that he was in the grave and the time that he he rose from the grave, look at what the Bible says he did. 
Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? All right, so what did Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ, when, he, when his body was in the tomb, he went and preached the gospel to the souls in captivity, is what the Bible says. Then he led captivity captive. He took paradise to heaven. That's what happened in that in-between time. But when he ascended, when he rose from the dead, he gave gifts to men. And we took some time and studied those gifts. There's the, the gift of teaching and the gift of, of the prophet and the gift of, of, uh, of helps and all of those different gifts that have been given. The giver. We can't let the give, leave the giver out at a Baptist church. It's very important that we bring the giver in. So we have all these gifts, the, gifts of, the gift of mercy. God gave you the gifts. God gave us as the church the gifts to accomplish this mission with the message according to the measure of grace that He's given us. Is that right? All right. Then He gave us messengers. Verse 11. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. All right. So apostles, we know who they are. The prophets, those are the ones who spoke the Word of God before it was written and then they wrote the Scriptures down. And evangelists, that was like the Apostle Paul, establishing churches, building people up in the faith. And some pastors and teachers. The pastor-teacher is one role. So the apostles, they're gone. The prophets, they're gone. Now we have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what's the role? What is their role? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. That's our maturity. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, so that's the foundation for our theme. Is that right? Drop down with me to verse 16. Uh, you know what, let's just, let's just keep going here. The maturity is in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Now, again, in Christianity, there's a lot of talk about unity, isn't there? Isn't that right? The only way we can have unity is unity in the faith. What faith? The faith once delivered to the saints. That's why it's important that we know why we believe what we believe. The reason we're doing what we do in Sunday school, where we're combining all of the classes, all the adult classes, and we're answering questions from the Scriptures and having you formulate an answer. The reason we're doing that is so that you're ready to take the Word out into the world. Amen? That's our goal. Now, this maturity, what does it look like? Verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and unto the knowledge of the Son of God, Unto, uh, let's read this out loud. Ready? Perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, uh, I wonder how many of us men today would say we're perfect. Other than Tristan Divins, no one else in the room would say that. <laughs> Come on, Tristan, smile. That's funny. It's a joke. Now, look. I think that the concept of having to be perfect, that's a pretty lofty goal. Uh, I, I mentioned last week that Jacob and I had taken a golf lesson, and this teacher, he says, he, he doesn't like the saying, practice makes perfect. He said, practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. Because do you know when you're going to be perfect? 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, when you're changed, when you have a new body. I want to show you the passage. Keep your place in Ephesians, but go to Philippians. Go to Philippians. Think of the power it takes to give you this perfect body. 
Remember, we always say, cheer up, you're a lot worse than you think you are, right? Look at, uh, this, is how, this is how much power it takes to make your body perfect, all right? It, it doesn't matter, Jane Fonda, uh, P90X, it, it, none of that's going to give you a perfect body, okay? How many of you young people don't have any idea what I'm talking about with Jane Fonda? Would you raise your hand? Okay. It's because I'm old. All right. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 20. We're in Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're looking for Him. Verse 21. Who shall change our perfect bodies... Wait a minute, did I read that wrong? What's the word the Bible uses to describe our bodies? Vile. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. Now look at the power it takes to do that. According to the working, whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. It's the power that it takes to subdue everything that exists. That's how much power it takes to change my vile body into His perfect body. How many of you think that's a lot of power? That is a lot of power. So that's really cool. That's what it means to be a perfect man. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 4. What I want us to look today, my message is engaging biblical manhood. Engage biblical manhood. For Father's Day, I want us to think about this. What does a godly man look like? What does a godly man look like? Look like. Let's get some different guys up here. Uh, Ty, come on up here. And uh, Justin, yo, why don't you come up here? And Alan Clutter. And uh, let's see. Let's get Wade. Why don't you come up here? Is Wade downstairs? Let's get Brent then. Brent. Oh, Wade's there. Come here, Wade. You can come up here. Now, how many of you think I haven't found a godly man yet? That's right. We're trying. Okay. Now, now, come on up here. That's good. I like this. This is a good position. This is awesome. Oh, you little guys. Okay. Now look at these guys. Which one of them, by their appearance, is a godly man? Well, I think that these two are blending the, the gender line because they don't have beards, you know. So you, they should. Um, the, now look at these guys. What's a perfect man look like? What does a godly man, what does a mature believer look like? Well, I guarantee you he doesn't wear flip-flops. <laughs> he's just being like Jesus. He's wearing sandals to church. That's so that we can wash his feet easily. That's what he's doing here. Okay. So, <laughs> so here we have men. What does a godly man look like? Now, it's, I should have found some guy with a suit on. Okay, Taylor, come on up here. you got a suit on. Okay, so now he looks like a politician, so we know he can't be God. <laughs> okay, so here, obviously different body types, right? Obviously, there's a, we have, what are, the, what are the jobs here? We have uh, a civil engineer. Civil engineers are guys who couldn't make it into the other engineering. And, so they, and then... Other the, engineer. <laughs> other engineer. Oh, <laughs> Laborer, right? Laborer. And a preacher. So, does that determine who's godly? 
What does a godly man look like? How do we know what a godly man looks like? Well, it's going to have to be their profession and their practice. That's how we're going to know. All different ages of guys, all different uh, shapes of guys, all different vocations. Uh, What? I didn't say whether they're good or bad shapes. (laughs) What does a godly man look like? By the time we're done with this service today, you're going to know scripturally what a godly man looks like. Now, that'll be our profession. The issue is going to be what's our practice. Thanks, guys. You can be seated. And let's do this. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to help us today. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and the opportunity to preach it and teach it. Lord, thank You for the godly men that You brought to Grace Baptist Church and who serve here and who lead here. Lord, we're so thankful. Lord, thank You for the godly men in this room, the fathers who are representing You well in their homes. But Lord, all of us are lacking that perfection that only comes from You. Lord, I hope that by the time we're done with this message, as we look at a few things from Scripture, that we are challenged to be more and more like You. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at verse 13 again. We're in Ephesians 4 and verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, when we do that, then we're, that, that's identified in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So a, a, a mature believer isn't distracted by false doctrine or false teachers, right? Then not only that, they know what the truth is, but they're able to speak the truth. Remember, you don't know anything until you can tell it to someone else. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And now our theme verse, verse 16. From whom Christ, the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Okay? So now, we need every one of you to do your part in order for this church to work properly. Fitly joined together, just like the cogs of the machine. All right? So now, here's what we're going to do today. I want us to try to to look through the Scriptures and get an understanding of what a godly man, what a Christ-like man looks like. Now, let me say this. And I think that you all will agree with this. The character of a man is revealed when life is at its worst. When the things are hardest, when the stress is the highest, when the money is the leanest, when the health is the weakest, when when the culture is the worst, when the adversity is the most fierce, that's when the character of the man is revealed. Would you all agree with that? Let's look at what the Bible says. Go to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to notice something. And have your Bibles ready. We're going to be covering a lot of scriptures this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have them in the, underneath the seats there for you. The seat in front of you, you'll see a Bible there. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples 
how that he must go to Jerusalem or go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. All right, so here we have Matthew chapter 16. Jesus starts teaching about his own death, burial, and resurrection. Is that right? Now, they didn't believe it. They didn't receive it. They didn't believe it until after the resurrection. We've established that. Look at the next verse. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. How many of you are thankful that that Jesus didn't answer Peter's prayer there? Yeah. Look what Jesus said to him. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Why is he an offense unto Jesus? Why did Peter say that? Look Look at what the Bible says. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. Peter wanted the kingdom to be established. That's what Peter wanted. He wanted Jerusalem to be restored. He wanted the kingdom to come. That's what he wanted. But Jesus wanted to save the world. All right? Then look at what he says. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, verse 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? His cross and follow me. Men, if you want to know what a godly man looks like, we need to look at Jesus Christ on the cross. We need to look at how Jesus Christ behaved. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. So let's look at how Jesus Christ behaved on the cross. Go to Luke chapter 23. How many of you think that when Jesus was on the cross, that that was a hard time? The most astounding fact in all of human history is that the creator of the world allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. It's the most amazing thing that has ever happened or that ever could happen. The fact that we can talk about it and that we can turn in the scriptures to it and that we have an awareness of it and and such an awareness of it that it is almost trite and that we can consider it in a nonchalant or a cavalier way, that again is one of the most amazing things or amazing ideas in the world. I want you to think about Jesus Christ on the cross. Think about what He's been through. Here we have the Holy Son of God, the One who was before all things, the One who is of old, from whose goings forth have been of old, from everlasting. This one who in the beginning was with God and was God. The one who had glory with God before the world was. That one has been beaten so much that he's not recognizable as a man. I am a worm, Jesus said. I am a worm and no man. When his disciples on the Emmaus road, when they saw him, he's walking with them. They didn't have any idea who he was. When Mary saw him outside of the tomb, she thought he was a gardener. He didn't, she didn't have any idea who he was. Because the Bible tells us in Isaiah that he, he said, it, the Bible says, I gave my cheeks to the smiters. They took his beard and pulled it off so his face was gone. He was beaten in such a way that the flesh had been torn from his body. 
crown of thorns was pounded into his head. He was beaten with rods, he was spat upon, and then he was nailed to a cross. How many of you think that's a bad day? Right? Let's look at how Jesus Christ behaved in that moment. Look in verse 33. Luke 23 and verse 33. And they were come to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then then said Jesus, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remember, the test of a man is how he behaves when life is at its worst. Notice what a Christ-like man does. A Christ-like man forgives. What does the Bible say in Ephesians chapter 4? And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, dads, here's the thing. I want you to think about this. Who are you resenting today? You know, there might be a dad here whose child doesn't call him today. I wonder if you're going to forgive. I wonder how you're going to behave. You know, one of the things that we dads have to do is we're raising children. One of the things that children are going to do is they're going to disobey. Do you know why they're going to do that? Because they're your kids. Because they're people, right? All we like sheep have gone astray. Is that what the Bible says? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. The Bible makes it very clear that we're all sinners, right? You don't have to teach your kid how to throw a fit at Walmart. You have to teach them how not to throw a fit at Walmart. Why? Because our children are all sinners. And our children will disappoint us somewhere along the way. Are you going to forgive them? Are you going to forgive them? When your children hear you, man, we're trying to figure out what does a Christ-like man look like? What does a mature believer look like? A mature believer is one who can forgive when things are at their worst. When you're in the worst time of your life and someone does you wrong, are you able to forgive? Can I tell you something? I'm not. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. See, the Bible tells us the way that we accomplish this is through the measure of the fullness of Christ. It's what Christ does in us that allows us to do this. So what does a Christ-like man look like? A Christ-like man is one who forgives. Now, think about what Jesus Christ is forgiving. These people are putting the most perfect, holy, righteous, loving, kind, truthful man who has ever walked the face of the earth. They're beating him like a dog. They're treating him worse than anyone would treat a dog. And Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A Christ-like man forgives. Number two, look what a Christ-like man does. A Christ-like man meets the needs of others. A Christ-like man meets the needs of others when he is suffering himself. Look at verse 42. Uh, Why don't we look at verse 39. And one of the malefactors, which were 
hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. I want you to think about something here. This would be the worst day of Jesus Christ's life. Would you all agree with that? And now somebody wants something from him. You ever been in a really bad place and somebody comes and they need you? And you say, I can't do anything else. I'm done. You see, what a Christ-like man does is he considers and hears and meets the needs of others when he is at his worst. How many of you would have a hard, would have a hard time doing that? Yeah. Yeah, look at what Jesus Christ said. Verse 43, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That is such a wonderful thing. Do you know what a Christ-like man does? When things are horrible, when things are horrible for you and horrible for the things around you, do you know what a Christ-like man does? He gives hope. Jesus Christ gave that man hope. And I want you to think about something. These two thieves, they identify for us all people. There's only two kinds of people in the world. People that see the sinless Savior crucified for them and mock Him. And there are people who see the crucified Savior suffering for them who receive Him. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Do you want to know something really cool? That thief, he's still with Jesus today. He took him to paradise. <laughs> I love this. He took that thief to paradise. He said, don't unpack. We're not staying long. And he took paradise up to heaven with him. That is awesome. That's what Jesus Christ does. When the chips are down, are you the kind of person that people want you to be around? Or do they say, I hope he doesn't show up? You see, the sign of a Christ-like man, the revelation of his character is how he behaves when life is at its worst. Jesus Christ, a Christ-like man, forgives. A Christ-like man considers the needs of others and gives hope, even when he's suffering himself. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 8. There's an example of this for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember, we're supposed to take up our cross and follow Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy... Now look at that. In a great trial of affliction. Do you see that? How in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy... And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So here they are. They're in great tribulation, in a great trial, but they have abounding joy. They have abounding joy. Isn't that interesting? Great trial, abounding joy, deep poverty, 
abounded unto the riches of the liberality. Look at verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So here's what we have. We have Jesus Christ on the cross. The thief asks him for something. And Jesus Christ, at at the worst moment of his life, is still willing to give. Is that what happened? And I want you to think about something. Uh, How many of you, just because of the agony, the pain, would find it difficult to forgive and to uh, consider the needs of someone else? How many of you would find that difficult? Jesus not only had that, but as the righteous and holy God was taking upon Himself the entire sin of the whole world. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21? He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus Christ, think about this. He was so holy and so righteous and so loving and so kind that as He became sin for us, He was still forgiving, and He was still willing to give. That's what Christ-likeness is. When life is at its worst, that you're willing to give. I want you to think about this. Many times when people go through financial trouble, the first thing they do is stop helping others. I see churches do this. Uh, Brother Taylor, as you're traveling around, you'll see a church, they go into financial trouble, the first thing they do is cut off the missionaries. How many of you think that that's the way that God would have us do it? No, no. The character of a man is revealed when he is at his worst. Uh, There's so much more I could say, but let's keep going. Go to the book of John. John chapter 19, verse 25. Take up your cross and follow him. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Now I want you to think about this. How many moms do we have here? How many moms? Can you imagine seeing your son with the flesh stripped off his body, hanging like a piece of meat in shame? before the whole world. Can you imagine what Mary saw that day? Jesus Christ, look at what He says. He says, Woman, behold thy son. Verse 27, Then saith He to the disciple, this is John, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Do you know what a Christ-like man does? Christ-like man cares for his family. When things are at their worst, when the man, he's he's depressed, he's having trouble at work, life is hard, he still sees to the needs of his family. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 22, despise not thy mother when she is old. You know what a Christ-like man does? He honors his mother and his father. When things are hard, they care for the needs of their family. You know, some men, when things get hard, they leave. They just pack up and go. Wife gets cancer, I'm done. I'm out of here. 
Children get, things get too rough, too many kids. You know what? I don't deserve this. I need to have freedom. I, you know, I need to have my own life. I'm going to go and do my own thing. That is not a Christ-like man. Some men, they are interested in their family. They just get so busy with their work, they don't have time for them. How many of you think God wants you to be so busy you can't be with your family? No. How much money is your family worth? What would you give for them? But what I want you to notice, this is what it says. Look at, uh, Go ahead and turn to that passage with me. Keep your place in John. Uh, but, but go back to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verse 22, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Now, we use that word despise as something that we hate. Remember, that's not the way the Bible uses that word. The word despise in the Bible means you don't regard it. That you just don't think. Remember Jesus Christ despising the shame? He didn't consider it. He didn't take notice of it. What the Bible is saying here is don't ignore your mom. Don't ignore your mother when she is old. Who's going to take care of your mother when she's old if you don't do it? Amen? Now, let me challenge you men. How many men do we have here? If you're a man, raise your hand. Do you know what a man should do? A a, a father should treat his wife in such a way, with such respect and care, that the son automatically knows to care for her when she's old. Sometimes you see people that are alone. Well, they raise children who would leave them alone. Amen? Look, this is the command. If you're going to be Christ-like, you're going to care about your mother. It's very simple. You're going to care about your family when things are at their worst for you. Boy, that's so important that we see that. It's so important. Now, go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. Number four. Let's look at verse 46. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. Look at the fourth characteristic of a Christ-like man. Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you know what a Christ-like man does? A Christ-like man points others to Scripture when things are at their worst. Now, I know that many people teach that the father forsook the son when he was on the cross. That would require a division in the Godhead. That can't happen. God cannot change. Amen? There's no separation between the Father and the Son. Now, I know I said that. I I said it many times. There's a separation in the Godhead. There can't be a separation in the Godhead. Amen? Jesus has never ceased being Jesus, the Son. He has never ceased being the beloved of the Father. Jesus Christ is the very Son of God, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, Co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. If they're that, how can there be division in the Godhead? So what's going on here? Jesus Christ is pointing those Pharisees 
to the Scriptures. Go to Psalm 22. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus was suffering. There's no doubt that He was crying out to His Father. But look at what it says here. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is verse 1. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season am am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the men. All that see me laugh me to scorn. If you're God, come down off the cross. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. The strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax." It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Look at what it says in verse seven, verse 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. Why? Because they stripped his, the flesh off his body. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. Now, if you read the rest of that chapter, what was Jesus Christ doing? He was pointing those religious leaders, those religious Jews, to the very passage that is describing what they themselves were doing. Do you know what a Christ-like man does? When he's in trouble, he points people to Scripture. What what is your behavior when life is hard? What is my behavior when life is hard? Look at John chapter 19. Look at verse 30. Um, Look with me in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now look at this. Do you see what it says? That the Scripture, this is so interesting to me, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now, could Jesus Christ have willed a drink? Right? He could have have had a tsunami come through and bring enough water in to wash out the entire world. Is that right? What was Jesus doing here? 
when a Christ-like man is at his worst, he remembers Scripture. When a, life, when a Christ-like man is at his worst, he remembers Scripture and he acknowledges his own need. Do you want to know an amazing thing? Jesus Christ was thirsty. He was so thirsty. It said in Psalm 22 that we just read, his jaws cleaved. His, his mouth was so dry. His, it, it was sticking together. It was terrible. And so Jesus Christ asked for something to drink. But even in his worst time, even when things were at their worst, he had a deep reverence and commitment to the Scriptures. So now, let me ask you this question. Do you have a deep reverence and commitment to the Scriptures right now when things are good? If you don't have it now when things are good, you certainly won't have it when things are at their worst. Is that right? So what we need to do, if we're going to be godly and Christ-like men, we need to know the Word, we need to meditate on the Word, we need to memorize the Word, we need to study the Word, and we need to know what the Bible says for the situations that we are in. Now look at verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. He said, It is finished. Do you know what a Christ-like man does? A Christ-like man finishes the job that God's given him to do. What work has God given you to do? Now, let's make sure that we understand this. Jesus had several jobs to do when He came. One of His jobs was to prepare His men. Look at John chapter 17. Verse 4, obviously this is before the cross. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So Jesus Christ had finished his work, which was he had prepared his men. They were ready for him to leave. Isn't that awesome? He finished his job, but then on the cross, he finished the work of redemption. Physically speaking, how many of you think it would be difficult to finish the work that Jesus did on the cross? Sometimes as a pastor, and Laura knows that I've said this, sometimes the job of the pastor is really too much for any one man. It's just the, the, the study and the care of the people and the administration of the building and then just the needs. You know, you're in the middle of, of trying to, to serve God and a child dies. And people come to you and, and, and it's your job to help them at that moment. What do you say? What do you do? How do you behave? What? It's, it's a difficult job. But, you know, the job that God has called you to do, you fathers, to be a consistent godly witness, to, to demonstrate what godliness is in the home, in the way that you treat your wife, in the way that you treat your children, in the way that you serve the Lord in the ministry in the consistency of your labor at your job, in the, your faithful witness and your faithful testimony, in the way that you handle your finances, the way that you honor God with your money, the way that you honor God with your schedule, the way that you have your children under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Life gets hard. But you know what a Christ-like man does? He finishes the job that God has given him to do. He just gets it done. That's what a man does. Doesn't matter what's going on in the weather. Doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Doesn't matter what's going on in the economy. Doesn't matter what's going on in the culture. A godly man finishes the work that God has called him to do. 
That's who we're supposed to be. How many of you are thankful Jesus finished His work? Amen. Now, look with me in Matthew. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. There's one more thing that Jesus did. I love this. Luke 23, look at verse 46. So Jesus had cried with a loud voice, It is finished. All right. And when he, Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said unto His Father, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Do you know what a Christ-like man does? A Christ-like man accomplishes what others believe to be impossible. A Christ-like man accomplishes what others believe to be impossible. How do you kill God? How does God die? Look at Luke. Keep your place here. Look at Luke chapter 9. Verse 31. Look at verse 28 for the context. Luke 9, verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, look, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Remember, the death of Christ was not a tragedy, it was an accomplishment. It was an accomplishment. Jesus Christ laid down His life. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 9. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 9, verse 6. Tribulation period. And in those days, you see it's tribulation period. Look for the tribulation period when you see those days. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. Do you know what? Life and death is in the power of God, not in the power of man. Amen? And when Jesus Christ gave up the ghost, that was an accomplishment for the ages. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Many people think the resurrection is. No. No. It's that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, would allow that flesh to be killed. You ready for this? He did it Himself. He gave up the ghost. Do you know what a godly man, a Christ-like man does? A Christ-like man accomplishes what others believe to be impossible, then surrenders it all to the Father. What have you asked God to do or to give you that Bill Gates couldn't give you? You see, most of us never ask, for God, ask God for anything that Bill Gates couldn't give us. Do you know that God can do the impossible? How many of you believe God can do the impossible? How many of you believe that God can do the impossible through you? You see, this is where the rubber meets the road. What does a godly, Christ-like man look like? A godly and Christ-like man is revealed when things are at their worst. Can you forgive 
Can you care for the needs of others? Can you remember the needs of your family? Do you remember to point people to Scripture? Do you live and believe what the Bible says and reveal your own need like Jesus did when He said, I thirst? Do you finish the work that God has given you to do and then do you accomplish what others believe is impossible through the power of the Holy Spirit? And when that is done, do you surrender it all to Jesus Christ? We need to engage godly and biblical manhood. Would you all agree with that? Jesus Christ, how many of you think that we have established today something very difficult to live up to? I can't do it. I can't do it. But how many believe Jesus Christ can do it in you? That's what it's all about. That's what Ephesians 4 is all about. That's what the whole body fitly joined together is all about. It's what we accomplish together through the power of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the local church, to change this community. But the community can't be changed until I am changed. And then my home is changed. And then the church is changed. That's God's plan. Amen? That's what it means to engage biblical manhood. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Scriptures.